Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, the Washington Wizards. So I'm here today with Kevin So. And Kevin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. All right. Let's jump right in and talk quickly about the Wizards offseason. Their biggest move by far was their re-upping with Otto Porter. They signed him on a four-year, $106 million contract, or rather I should say the Brooklyn Nets signed him to a four-year, $106 million offer sheet with quite a few interesting incentives to try and convince the Wizards not to match. However, they did go ahead and match that contract, and so far this season, that's looking like absolutely the right decision. But what are your thoughts on the Otto Porter deal? Oh yeah, no, I um, I think it was totally worth it. You know, I just wrote a piece actually about Porter that will hopefully go up soon. But you know, he's been making improvements every year. He doesn't really possess a lot of what you might what might come to mind when you think of a max level player. But his advanced stats really show his worth. Um, it's interesting because all last season it was kind of this thing that was hovering above Wizards fans that were kind of wondering, uh, you know, what is he going to get as far as contracts? Is he worth the max? And kind of the the general consensus was that they weren't sure if he was worth it, but uh, the Wizards had to sign him. Um, you know, top tier free agents haven't really been banging down the door in D.C., um, so they kind of have to keep their own. So it was sort of a keep your own talent um, and kind of just take a gamble on this guy to really step up and become that sort of high level uh, third wheel that he's really stepped up and been able to do so far this season. So it's it's been it's really worked out well so far. It's interesting because the way that max contracts are structured in the NBA, you have LeBron James basically making the same amount of money as, say, Al Horford. But the thing about Otto Porter is I think of him in kind of a similar vein as Horford, who I think is getting paid fair value on his max contract. I just think that LeBron is getting massively underpaid on his own deal. But going back to the Porter-Horford comparison... They're both really capable defensive players. Horford is in the running, I think, for Defensive Player of the Year this year. I'm not sure Porter's quite there. But neither of them are going to be 20, 25-point-per-game scorers. But they contribute in so many other ways that it makes it worth it to pay them those big-money deals. Yeah, I, I totally agree. He, um, you know, He's really stepped up as far as efficiency. He's been hitting 50% from three all season long and just been... Really, anytime uh, they give him the ball, he's been been making things happen. Uh, part of the interesting thing about him too is, for a player that's as precise and efficient as he is on offense, they really haven't upped his usage to kind of reflect that. Um, and it's one of those things that I'm hoping that they'll continue to make adjustments for moving forward, realizing what they have in him and try to get him more involved. You know, running plays for him, making sure that he's getting touches um, that would otherwise, you know, I get into. Uh, my issues with some of the ISO plays that get run on offense. And I really feel like they could take advantage of, of Porter's skill set by uh, incorporating him more in the offense. And when you have John Wall on your team, you're going to be able to generate a lot of good three point looks for the players around him. Oh, definitely. And Porter started his NBA career shooting 19% from three in his rookie campaign. And granted, that was on 21 shots, so not exactly the largest of sample sizes. But from there, 33.7%, 36.7%, 43.4% last year, and he was near the league lead for much of the year. And then, as you mentioned earlier, he's made 50% of his three-pointers so far this year. 
Now, expecting anyone to make 50% of their three-pointers for the whole season is a bit of a stretch, but Porter's been taking about as many three-pointers per game as he did last year and somehow been even more efficient. So I think it definitely would benefit the Wizards, as you said, to try and find ways to get him more incorporated into the offense, especially on looks from deep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he... He just he's he's been blowing teams out whenever he he gets the ball in his hands and um, you know I think it's just to the winner, Wizards' benefit to try to just get him involved as much as possible. Moving on to the rest of the offseason moves for the Wizards, and I wanted to start with the Jody Meeks deal. They gave him a two-year, six million dollar contract after he'd been struggling with injury for much of the last few years, but he has played in every game so far for the Wizards. And he's basically been their only other guard that's gotten major minutes outside of Beal, Wall, and spot minutes for Tim Frazier, who we'll talk about next. But let's start with Meeks. How has he looked so far in Washington? Yeah, you know, I haven't actually been overly impressed with how he's performed so far this season. You know, I know he can hit the three, and that's what he's known for. Um, But I feel like his shooting has just been kind of flat this season so far. Easily an upgrade over guys like Marcus Thornton, who were kind of making up the bench unit last year. Um, but, you know, he's still a threat, so they have to guard him, which is good. Um, and I know kind of it'll he'll return to the mean at some point. But so far this season, his uh, three-point shooting has kind of been lackluster, which is what he was brought in here to do. Um, but, you know, overall, I've been relatively happy with the signing. I think, again, it's, it's an improvement from, from what we had before. And hopefully his three start hitting. Meeks has shot... 40% or better from deep in three of the last four seasons. And granted, one of those years was his 2015-16 season when he played in three games, but he did hit 44% of his threes, so he's got that going for him. The thing about Meeks is that his biggest contributions are going to be in the three-point shooting department, as you said. And before tonight's game against the Miami Heat, he was shooting 28.6% from deep. I don't see any way that he continues to shoot that poorly from beyond the arc for the entire season. He's never shot below 31% in a season, and that 31% was in his rookie year. Yeah, I agree. I, like I said before, I think he's going to return to the mean at a certain point um, and you know, start you know, getting towards that 35%. Uh, and really being a legitimate threat. Right now, it's more of just kind of his name. You know, he people know that he can shoot, so they have to put a man on him on defense. But um, right now, up to this point, uh, like I said, I haven't been overly impressed with what he's done so far, and hopefully uh, those three start, start falling soon. So let's move on to the other major guard acquisition that the Wizards made to bolster their bench. They traded the 52nd overall pick for Tim Frazier this past offseason, and... Given how the 57th overall pick doesn't often even make it into the NBA, and the player that was selected there, Edmund Sumner, has yet to play an NBA game, I think it was definitely worth it for the Wizards to acquire someone like Frazier, especially when it would be impossible for him to not be an upgrade over the likes of, as you mentioned, Marcus Thornton, or I think more to the point, Trey Burke. Yeah, Trey Burke was just awful last season. Um Along with Brandon Jennings, they kind of just anytime Wall was off the court, you knew that the uh, offense was going to start to to sputter. So having a guy like Tim Frazier running the offense when Wall is getting some rest is you know a real benefit to the team. It, it lets Wall get that rest time that he needs. He really uh, was exhausted at the end of the, the postseason last year. You could see it at the end. 
Um, and that's just because they had to have him on the court. Um, so now that they have a guy that's competent, that can run the offense, not the greatest scorer shooter. Um, he's not really a threat to score, and you can see that when defenses sag off of him. Uh, but he does know how to run the offense and uh, does a solid job on defense, actually, for a uh, 6-1 guard. So, yeah, I agree. It's a great trade by Grunfeld. I've been uh, pretty vocal about my criticisms of him, but I did think that that was a great great trade for the Wizards, uh, getting rid of a second-round pick for a guy that's you know a real pro and a real solid backup for, for John Wall for once in his career. And lastly, the Wizards signed Mike Scott to a one-year deal. And prior to the season, I just sort of assumed that he would be an end-of-the-bench type player. But so far, he's actually been playing more minutes per game than either Meeks or Frazier. Is that mostly just due to the absence of Markeith Morris for a lot of that time? Or do you think Scott's going to play a major role off the bench for the Wizards this season? I like Scott's game. Um, yeah, I was cautiously optimistic uh, with sort of this under-the-radar signing that they had of him. And I remember him killing the Wizards on a few occasions when he was playing in Atlanta. Um, but he's exceeded my expectations so far. Um, he's been hitting threes at a clip at 43%. And, you know, part of that is because uh, Markeith was out and, you know, the other struggles of the, the front court in general. But I like him off the bench. I think it's great to have kind of a heat check guy like that that can, uh, you know, be an interior guy, but also uh, hit from the outside, which they, you know, they've kind of never had you know, in recent years. So it's it's a nice addition. And it's one that I kind of hope that they're able to re-sign him after the season, honestly. So uh, I like that they're they're playing him. He didn't get in the game at all uh, against the first game against the Heat a few days ago, but um, hopefully uh, he gets more involved in the rotation uh, on a consistent basis. All right. So let's move from the off-season overview into a quick look at their season so far. And I wanted to just start by talking about their record to start the year. Now, last year, they had an incredibly poor start, and they proceeded to win their first three games this year, but they were 5-5 five and five after a disappointing, shall we say, loss to the Dallas Mavericks. They've since won four straight, although at the time we're recording this podcast, they're in the midst of, let's just say, a difficult game against the Miami Heat. But has that sort of up-and-down record been more of an effort thing, do you think? Or have they just happened to put together a great stretch of games after that disappointing loss to the Mavericks? I think part of it is the um, the level of competition. I think uh, one stat I saw is that they have had the easiest schedule so far uh, amongst NBA teams. Uh, even though they did face the Warriors earlier and the Cavs, I think that they have had easy schedule, uh, particularly the last four games. Um, haven't really been against uh, the greatest competition. You know, to be fair, they probably should have started the season off 5-0. and They got into that trash talk with uh, Lonzo Ball and didn't back it up for whatever reason. And they had the Warriors on the ropes leading into the fourth quarter, and they just blew it. So uh, that Dallas game was a weird one. And since then, uh, you know, they've been getting on track. I feel like they've been getting in sync. Uh, you mentioned the game that's going on right now. And, you know, that's just the way it's got to be sometimes. they uh, they just having an off, an off night right now. But overall, you know, I feel like they're coming together. They're playing better team defense. And, uh, you know, everyone's kind of getting on the same page, which is good to see. And as a Kings fan, I've got to say, playing the Kings right after playing the Warriors has got to be a great confidence boost. Oh yeah, definitely. That's uh, <laughs> that's always good to to follow up a game like that. 
you know you're having a good year when your team loses by 27 and that's not even close to the worst defeat of the season especially after losing to the Atlanta Hawks by 46 always fun times in Sacramento yeah I, I can feel your pain and uh you know I've, I've been there with with the Wizards in the past so I know how it is all right let's go from the up and down start of the season into talking about the starting lineup and something that's intrigued me about the Wizards choices of starting lineups is that Kelly Oubre, who we'll talk about in a lot more depth later in the podcast, started most of the games when Markeith Morris was out and has certainly played better this season than Morris has. So with that in mind, do you think that the starting lineup with Markeith Morris at the four is the best starting unit for the Wizards? I believe that um, Markeith is still kind of working himself back into game shape. He was out with an injury and then he had the suspension. Um, you know, as great as Ubre has been and as, you know, sort of an interesting player to have in the starting lineup as he is, I do think that uh, it's important to have someone like Markeith Morris uh, in the starting lineup. He brings that sort of enforcer type attitude, which is uh, always good to have. He's a, a big that can sort of just like Scott, uh, you know, he can get hot from outside. He has that capability. Not the best rebounder, but overall, I, I think he does belong in the uh, the starting lineup. Um, you know, barring injury, he's, he, you know, I, I like him in there. The thing about Markeith is that he has averaged a little under 10 minutes a game fewer than Ubre has this season, but they're attempting almost the exact same number of shots per game. So my thought with Morris is it might help to boost the Wizards second unit offense to have him on there just because the Wizards don't exactly have many scoring options on that second unit. Do you think that's something that might work or do you think the Wizards are just better off having Ubre be that energy bench guy and have Morris be in the starting lineup to sort of push people around? I, I get your point and I think I do think it's important for him to remain in the starting lineup for now. I know, like you said, he he hasn't really uh, played up to his normal level so far this season, but uh, he's he's still working his way back. If anything, you know, if I were to consider shuffling things around i might even consider sliding him over to the five and um have a have Ubre and porter take over the, the forward positions and kind of play that small ball lineup with markeith in the five because uh i like what he can bring defensively when he's 100 percent, and i feel like that's something that's currently uh missing with the front court uh of, or with gortat um being that the sort of subpar rim defender the thing about Gortat though and you brought this up earlier with Morris's rebounding issues Martian Gortat is really the only player on this Wizards team other than Jan Mahimi who is a force to be reckoned with on the glass and the Wizards are already in the bottom 10 in terms of rebounding and I would be concerned for them if you put Markeith in as the starter at the five the Wizards would just get demolished on the glass if, if you put that lineup in. That's Yeah, that would be a concern, though. I do like the rebounding efforts of the rest of the team. You know, Oubre has done well. Uh, Porter has, has increased his rebounds. So it could be sort of a rebound by committee sort of thing rather than having uh, relying on sort of one big guy in the middle. But no, I, I get the concern on, on that end. Um, I just defensively i see what teams are able to do inside and i wonder if um you know if there were to be a change um bringing keith to the five might allow for for better uh, switching on defense and uh, a little bit better rim protection but yeah he's not the best rebounder so uh, i get that concern 
So speaking of interior defense, $64 million man Jan Mahimi <laughs> is currently averaging just under 13 minutes a game. And he's been iffy, let's just say, on the offensive end really throughout his career, but in particular this season, shooting under 50% for a big man who doesn't space out to be on the arc is troubling to say the least. But given Mahimi's solid rebounding and really top-notch defense when he's at the peak of his game. Do you think it's worth it for the Wizards to try and find more minutes for him? Or do you think they'd be better off just trying to avoid traditional center minutes outside of Cortot as much as possible? Yeah, I, I know he's known for his defense. I haven't really liked what I've seen a lot of the time when he's on the court. Um, w- one thing I saw recently is um, per 36 minutes, he's averaging 8.6 personal fouls, which is ridiculous. Um, and you mentioned his issues on offense. He's averaging 4.2 turnovers per 36 minutes. So he's he's a gigantic liability when he's on the court. I get that you know he's probably a better rim defender and a better rebounder than Gortat. Um, but between the two of them, you know, I'm Gortat all day, and I you know for the most part would rather see guys like uh, Markeith, even Mike Scott and Jason Smith on the court um, as opposed to um, Mahimni. So that's where I kind of stand on him. On the other hand, though, Mahimi has been ridiculous on the offensive glass this year. He's only got four fewer offensive boards than Gortat in fewer than half as many minutes. So maybe he can contribute to the offense on the glass, even though he's not exactly helping the offense out in other areas. Yeah, no, I can see his value in that sense. Um, but just the eye test just hasn't really been been cutting it for me. And when I saw those stats about how he's just a fouling machine and, and is constantly turning the ball over, um, I don't know how you come back from that as far as keeping him on the court. Um, you know, it's just, it, it was it was not a good signing and very regrettable. Uh, if you talk to any Wizards fans, uh, it's the worst contract on the team. And, you know, we would love to get rid of him. People are talking about, you know, attaching first round picks so, so another team will take him. Um, he's not really the uh, the most popular wizard out here. So, All right, let's move from the big men into the wings and the guards. And I just wanted to start out by talking briefly about Sheldon Mack's injury. He had surgery to repair a torn left Achilles before the season started. And last year, I thought he was a really valuable piece for the Wizards as a guy who could actually play some defense off the bench. And with him out, you're seeing a lot more minutes going to the likes of Jody Meeks and Tim Frazier. How do you think that's affected the Wizards bench units so far this year? Well, if anything, it's kind of given them a little bit more consistency when when Brooks has to uh, tighten up the rotation a little bit. Um, you know, he's also some of his minutes probably are going to uh, Sadoransky as well. And, uh, you know, he's he was, you know, uh, a solid player, um, but nothing that's really going to be a, a needle mover as far as, um, you know, when the, the Wizards bench is playing. Um, you know, he's he's solid, but I uh, I actually, you know, I, I like the potential of uh, Meeks and Frazier uh, a little bit more. So if if it's, if it's giving them more opportunity, then you know I, I think it's it's not necessarily uh, a bad thing for the Wizards. Yeah, I agree with you on that front. I think that if Meeks and Tim Frazier played their best styles of basketball, Frazier as a guy who runs the second unit offense without really looking to score, Meeks as a guy who can space out beyond the three point line. I think each of those guys 
can at least provide adequate replacements for John Wall's passing and Bradley Beal's three-point shooting. Whereas last year, the Wizards just had pretty much nothing coming off the bench in terms of guard depth. I would argue that the Thunder were probably the only team in the league that had worse bench point guards than the Wizards did last season. Yeah, that's a that's a very fair assessment. You know, we, we went through it and again, Trey Burke was just horrendous and uh, Brandon Jennings wasn't much better. So, uh, you know, I'm with you on that. So you touched on Sadoransky briefly earlier. He certainly had an up and down first year and a bit in the NBA and he's averaging just over 10 minutes per game. Do you think that's too many minutes for him, or do you think the Wizards might be better served by splitting those minutes between Frazier and Jody Meeks going forward? Well, you know, I was somebody that was, I was interested in seeing what he could do. You know, he's got sort of a an interesting um, set of skills. He's a six seven point guard, uh, and those guys are always pretty fascinating. I would like to see what he can do. Um, you know, if that means running him out there, um, you know, particularly when uh, the games are, are finished, getting him, you know, any more playing time would be would be good just to see what they have in him. Uh, he's on a really good three-year deal uh, in the second year right now. And, you know, if they have any chance of, uh, you know, getting solid production out of him, I'd like to see it uh, sooner rather than later uh, before it's too late. So um, if anything, I'd be fine seeing uh, a few more minutes out of him and uh, getting him out on the court a little bit more. All right, let's move into talking about your most recent article for Hashtag Basketball, other than, of course, the Otto Porter article that will be up soon and all of you should check out as soon as it comes out. But let's talk about Kelly Oubre. And I wanted to start out with the discussion of Kelly Oubre by talking about the man who drafted him, Ernie Grunfeld. And you've mentioned him briefly before, but... As an outsider in terms of the Wizards, as someone who isn't a day-to-day fan, it has truly shocked me that Ernie Grunfeld has been able to keep his job for as long as he has. Yeah, that's kind of how I start the article off, actually. And uh, he's really mismanaged the team in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's through signings like four years, 64 for Mahindmi, um, you know, drafting uh, guys like Jan Vesely when other players like Kawhi Leonard were available. Um, and sort of being really loose with, with getting rid of, of draft picks sort of um, in the hopes of immediate help, which almost never works out. So uh, I agree. He's, I'm surprised he still has a job. Uh, I'm hopeful that we can move on from him sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he did draft Ubre, and uh, that was one of the uh, few non-slam dunk picks uh, that he's had in recent years that has actually sort of worked out. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And it's good to see at least one of these picks uh, work out. It's interesting that you say that Ubre was one of the few non-slam dunk picks that Grunfeld nailed, because I think one thing that he has at least done in terms of building this core is selecting two guys in Bradley Beal and Otto Porter that were you know, probably the most popular choices with that number three overall pick, but certainly not consensus picks. And both of them have worked out incredibly well for Washington so far. I would agree with Porter. I remember when they drafted him and uh, Nerland's Noel was still available and I was kind of screaming at my TV uh, because just the upside potential of Noel was so tantalizing. But, you know, looking back now, I'm glad he did what he did. I feel like I'll disagree with you on the Beal pick. Um, He was just 
exactly what the Wizards needed uh, when he came out of Florida. Uh, that jump shot is just so smooth. And, you know, they needed to put shooters and scorers around Wall. And he was, you know, the best one uh, out there. You know, after the Anthony Davis pick, to me, he was the clear-cut next best player. And they were lucky to, to get him. That's a fair point. And it is worth mentioning just how fantastic of a fit Beal is alongside John Wall. And even though he might have been, you know, maybe even underdrafted at the number three overall pick, which is kind of ridiculous to think about. I mean, it is at least worth crediting Grunfeld to have recognized that Beal was exactly what the team needed, especially in the wake of some of the other questionable choices that Grunfeld has made on the draft boards. I will begrudgingly give him credit for that. Um, but yeah, I the rest of his history kind of speaks for itself. And it's as a, a longtime Wizards fan, it, it's astounding again that he is still employed by the team because you you look at what they they have now. You know, part of what I get into in the article is there's just no young players on the team. You know, they have their starting five. Ubre is the only guy um, with that sort of big upside that's still left. Everyone else is either uh, an established star, you know star like John Wall, Bradley Beal, or is just kind of a a journeyman backup. Um, you know, second unit guy. So they don't really have a good youth pipeline because of the way the team has has managed their drafts. And, um, you know, I think Grunfeld is the one that needs to answer for that. You forgot to mention former Nets star and future Wizards star Chris McCullough, who's still only 22 years old. Yeah, he he's actually, um, you know, I, I kind of dismissed him after last season. And he's in very limited time. Um, he's actually in, in garbage minutes put up some decent numbers uh, to give me a little bit of hope. But, uh, you know, I know he's still very raw and, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. So speaking of very raw, Kelly Oubre, when he came into the league, was certainly an athletic talent. He had one of the best verticals and other athletic measurements at the combine his year, but he was one of those guys that was a high upside player with very raw NBA skills. So what was it like to watch Ubre in his first few years in the league? Yeah, he was he he was tantalizing, you know. You could see that potential when he got on the court. Um he's got that crazy wingspan which um just gives him that potential on defense that uh we didn't really have with any other player besides maybe John Wall. And um you know, we had we knew we had to be patient with him. He was uh I think 19 when he was drafted and uh, like you said, he was very raw, but everyone could could see that he had something and that he was he was a player to watch. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun to have those types of guys on your team. Uh, and the Wizards have not had many. So, um, you know, it's been good. And I think that the time that fans outside of the Washington, D.C. area started to really notice Ubre was in last year's playoffs. And part of that was because of his famous fight with fellow Kelly, Kelly Olynyk. But Ubre was really impressive in that series in a way that I hadn't really seen from him prior to those playoffs. Yeah, I think he really stepped up during the playoffs. Um, you know, he took on some scoring load. He, he, you know, he really picked up his defense. Uh, it didn't necessarily show up in the stats, but, uh, you know, his presence was felt. And when he was on the court, he was really trying to lock his guy down, which was, was great to see. Um, the, the Ubre, uh, or Ubre and, uh, Olenek scuffle was, was pretty comical. Um, you know, we've had some issues with Olenek in the past and, uh, 
he really kind of just elbowed Ubre in the face. Um, and, you know, he took a, <laughs> a, uh, he, he didn't take lightly, lightly with that and gave him kind of a, uh, a strong push and Linux went tumbling down and he got suspended for the next game, which, which really hurt them. So, uh, you know, might have some growing up to do still. Um, but it's kind of nice to see that fire in, in a kid and, uh, that competitiveness. I'm not sure whether that was funnier or this year's fight when Ubre punched one of his own teammates in the back of the head during a fight was more entertaining. Yeah, I saw that too. And uh, it looked like he might have clipped Wall on the back of the head of all people. So you got to watch out for the superstar. You can't, can't be doing that. So we touched on this in some detail earlier, but I want to go back to it, which is Ubre stepping in for Markeith Morris and actually being pretty impressive in those starting minutes. So I guess my question on that front is, do you think Ubre is going to be a starter for this team in short order, or do you think his best role is as kind of an X-factor off the bench? I think for this season, again, barring injury, his best role would be that X-factor off the bench. I, I think maybe we stand a little differently on Markeith, um, but I do like what uh, Ubre can bring to the bench unit. He can really take charge and and be that scorer, uh, be that dynamic player uh, that they need. You know, they have the uh, you know sort of classical point guard in in uh, Frazier and and great hopefully three point shooting out of Meeks. Uh, but to add that sort of dynamic player in uh, Ubre, it really uh, helps the whole bench unit out and I like I like what he brings in that regard but looking forward down the road I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to step into the starting role in a year or two um, you know we don't know sort of where the the team is going to go and uh, you know like Porter I think they need to hold on to their talent and getting him into the starting lineup in the next year or two is definitely a possibility so on that front do you think Ubre and Porter could play together in the starting lineup? I mean, especially given how the NBA is shifting more to speed and versatility rather than size, you could potentially play two, six, seven, six, eight guys as your starting forwards. But I'm just wondering if Porter, who's a little bit skinny, and Ubre, who's still growing into his body, would have the bulk to be able to deal with starting power forwards on a night in, night out basis. Yeah, I guess a lot would depend on matchups. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see um, Porter bulking up too much, but I could see Ubre putting on some pounds and some muscle uh, on his frame. They both have ridiculously long arms, which helps. Um, you know, they're obviously super fast. Uh, they can keep up with fours very easily, uh, and they can outpace them on the offensive end. Uh, but yeah, when you when you're going up against some of those behemoths, um, you know, that's when the matchup is going to dictate where you need to get guys like. Uh, Gortat and Mahinni back, uh, sort of back in the mix or more in the mix. All right, let's move on to the future outlook before we wrap up here. And I wanted to start with their future outlook for this season. So right now, the Wizards are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. So they would be in line to get home court advantage at the end of the season. Then again, the Cavaliers are currently not in line to get home court advantage, and they seem like a team that's pretty likely to, which I guess happens when you have this small sample size of the early season. But what do you think the Wizards' chances are of remaining a home court advantage team in the first round like they were last season? I believe that they are a top three team in the East. And so, um, you know, I I agree. Cleveland's needs to be in the mix. You can't ever count out LeBron. Um, 
and Boston has just looked unreal, even without uh, Gordon Hayward. But, um, you know, I think they're in that top three group on the East. Uh, I think Detroit's currently up there, and I don't I don't think that uh, they're for real. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, most likely, again, I, you know, I always preface it by barring injury because you never know. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they should uh, secure that home, home court. The team that I think is going to be the team to watch in terms of that is the Milwaukee Bucks, just because they've been 4-0 and since they got Eric Bledsoe in that trade with the Suns. And especially given how Giannis has apparently taken another leap after winning Most Improved Player last season, I think the Bucks have a really solid chance of cracking that home court advantage area in the playoff seating. And then the other team, the Toronto Raptors, who... Granted, Kyle Lowry has been troublingly bad so far to start the year, but he's one of those guys that's kind of got a history of starting off slow. And, you know, the Raptors were a home court advantage team last year, so they're probably a pretty solid bet to repeat there. And if you think that Boston and Cleveland are pretty much locked into one of those top four seeds, I think it is going to be a three-way battle between the Wizards, the Bucks, and the Raptors for those last two home court advantage slots. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, I agree. I think that will be they will be the three in the running. Though I think just for continuity uh, and maturity, the Wizards have the advantage over both of those two teams. Um, I think Toronto. You know, they're they're a veteran team, but. Um, you know, if you've seen what they've been doing in the front court, um, they're playing uh, Pirtle, and they're they. Um, I guess uh, you never know how many minutes Valanciunas is going to get. And I just feel like there's kind of some uncertainty going on there. Um, you know, I, I think Milwaukee, uh, they have the most upside out of anyone, I guess. Uh, and getting Bledsoe is just kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, they're still a very young team and they're still gelling. And I think, you know, the Wizards should hopefully be able to capitalize uh, on that advantage and being that they have so much continuity coming from the last few seasons. And speaking of playoffs... The divisions don't really matter anymore now that the NBA has reseeded things, but I did just want to look at the Southeast division for the Wizards since the Orlando Magic had such a blisteringly hot start to the season. At this point, do you think it's basically just locked in that the Wizards end up being the best team in that Southeast division, or do you think there's a chance that maybe Orlando returns to that early season Magic or that the Heat get it together? Yeah, I don't think Orlando's for real. Um, I know they've they came out hot. Um, they've kind of cooled off. Um, I think Miami's a better team than Orlando, uh, but I think the Wizards are clear cut the best team in the Southeast, so um, they should win that division. I have to admit, I was also expecting the Hornets to be a lot better than they have been. And granted, a lot of that poor play is due to Dick Batum missing significant time, but I think they'd be able to be at least a 500 team even with him out. And clearly, they haven't been so far. Yeah, you know, I think um, Batum being out definitely was was a major issue for them. Uh, he provides Kemba that you know that secondary ball handler that that he needs. Um, but you know, I, again, these I think all of these the three other teams are not in the same tier as the Wizards, and so uh, you know, if they play to their capabilities, they should you know walk away with the the division. Well, unless the Hawks use their win against the Kings and turn it into a 67-game win streak, which, you know, hey, anything can happen, right? That's true. You, you can uh, never count out Dennis Schroeder. So, uh. The fact that you can't even finish that sentence without laughing says everything <laughs> you need to say about the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, well, you know, they're rebuilding. They, they have pieces that, uh, you know, might be interesting in a year or two. So 
but yeah, this season they're they're not they're not there. All right. So moving on from the division and the home court advantage talk, I think the big question for this Wizards squad is how far can they go in the playoffs? And John Wall and Bradley Beal have at times said some interesting things about the Cavaliers, most notably that they were quite sure that the Cavs lost some games to avoid the Wizards later in the playoffs. But do you think this team has a shot at the conference finals, given LeBron being LeBron and just how ridiculous the Celtics have been to start this season? Yeah, I mean, the goal for the last few years has has been the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's the goal again this year. Um, you know, as we kind of mentioned, it seems like maybe there's uh, four or five top teams in the East that are all kind of competing. It, you would normally just default to LeBron, assume that he's going to go uh, and, you know, make it. Uh, but this year's different. Um, you know, we can't count him out, but that team has, has had some issues. Um, Boston, I don't think necessarily can continue the, the, the way they've been going. Um, and I think the Wizards have as good a shot as anybody to, to make it there into the, to the conference finals. So um, that's the goal. And, and you know, that's uh, I think they can make it. All right. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to do a quick thought experiment and look ahead to what the Wizards might look like in 2020. And 2020, I say, just sort of as a vague outline of what the team might look like in two to three years. But I think that the Wizards' best seasons are ahead of them. I don't think they're that far ahead of them. But John Wall is 27. Bradley Beal is... 24, Otto Porter, 24, Ubre still 22. I think that this team will probably peak sometime around 2019, 2020. And at that point, I think it's almost guaranteed that LeBron will be out of the Eastern Conference, just because I don't think there's any chance he resigns in Cleveland. But what are your thoughts on what the Wizards team might look like over the next couple of years? Yeah, uh, you know, I think... Like you mentioned, Wall will be 30 years old, so he'll kind of be at the tail end of his prime, uh, but still, you know, one of the best point guards in the league. Uh, Beal and Porter and Oubre should be right in the middle of their primes. Um, so this should be, you know, a very formidable team. Um, and, you know, tying back to my issues with Grunfeld, um, you know, hopefully we're able to move on from him and secure a more modern GM, somebody that can put more effort into player development and really... Um, help incorporate some youth into this team um you know i'd love for them to to get uh some young big men to kind of groom uh to replace gortat who's probably not going to be i'm sure he won't be on the team by then uh his contract will be up in two years um you know we'll still have that mahimi contract but what can you do um and uh same goes with um you know he's he'll be probably about 30 years old as well. Uh, probably not going to be a starter level type player at that point. Um, so, you know, we need to look forward and take advantage of what we have in Wall. You know, I think we haven't had a player like him in so long and to not make our best go at a, at a championship while we have him, uh, you know, it's just, that's, it's wasteful. And so hopefully we're able to build around him a little bit more and really um, improve in the front court and, um, you know, get a real team around him that can really compete even with the, the, the big guys in the Western Conference. The thing about this Wizards team is that I think they will peak just in time to be ahead of Milwaukee and Philadelphia, who are probably the teams that are best primed to take over the conference in three to five years. But because of the relative youth of the Wizards star guards in comparison to Toronto star guards, 
I think they're better primed for 2018 season, 2019 season, maybe even the 2020 season. The question for them is just going to be how good Boston could be with Gordon Hayward back in the fold, given just how ridiculously good they've been this season, even without him. Yeah, I agree. Boston is going to be a real issue uh, for them to try to get past and for them to figure out um, with Hayward back, it, that is going to be such a dynamic team. Um, you know, they have a good combination of youth and veterans. You mentioned Horford before. I mean, he's such an underrated center. Um, you know, the Wizards tried to get him last year. It didn't work out. Um, and so beyond sort of those young teams you mentioned, uh, Boston is really going to be the, you know, assuming LeBron leaves, Boston is going to be that team that the Wizards are going to have to figure out and um, have to get past if they want to get to the uh, the championships. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think I think uh, I covered everything I wanted to. All right. Well, he is Kevin So. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin So, and you can find his work on the hashtag basketball website. You can follow me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, and you can also find my work on the hashtag basketball website. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using iTunes tends to drive the most traffic, so if you could leave a review there, that would be great. But any feedback you could give in terms of rating or reviews would be appreciated. And additionally, if you want to reach out to me with any feedback, feel free to get in touch with me either via Twitter or via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.